With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. Turn on the Jets Podcast. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we're joined by Scott Mason, host of the Play Like a Jet podcast and all of the other podcasts on the Play Like a Jet feed. Scott basically turns out a podcast every three hours on the other feed, making me feel really bad about only doing one to two shows a week. Today, we're going to talk about, it is probably the one somewhat quiet week of the NFL season, except that the Jets have already made news by uh, cutting Spencer Long, leaking stories about not trading Leonard Williams and potential interest or non-interest in Le'Veon Bell. So I guess the moral is there really is no quiet weeks. But we're going to take a step back and look at where the Jets stand right now, what dates to look for in the offseason, what names we're going to be watching, uh, and basically just kind of give a lay of the land of what these next eight weeks are going to look like. And really the offseason has kind of become the primary season for the Jets, which is obviously a disappointing thing, but also an entertaining thing at this time of the year. We're also going to talk about, or I'm going to talk about my experience in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. I got to attend my first one, got to meet Mr. Darnold, Mr. Adams, and a few other interesting people. So I'll talk about having to unfortunately witness another Patriots Super Bowl. Uh, before we jump into our interview or discussion with Scott, remind you guys, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. We're up at 320 now. Let's get to 400. We're available on Spotify. We're available on Google Play. I'll share those links out on Twitter after this goes live. Really appreciate the surge in uh, listeners over these past few weeks since we've transitioned to overtime and the support on Twitter. And with the ratings, it's been great. It allows us to keep doing what we're doing. All right, Scott. We're a couple weeks, well, no, we're a couple days into the and a true NFL offseason now that the Super Bowl is over. What has been, let's say since the Jets hired Adam Gase, the, the last big, big shoe to drop, what piece of news around the team has caught your eye the most? And what has been a pretty consistent trickle of information? I guess it's the, I can't say one thing, I guess it's the whole idea of we're not that interested in Le'Veon Bell that we're going to break the bank and we're not trading Leonard Williams. It seems like these are targeted campaigns. Now, I don't know what the end game is with Williams. It may legitimately be that they just don't want to trade him. And look, I'm all for keeping him now. I thought with the three, four, it would have been useful to move him with a four, three. I kind of want to see what he looks like there, especially if they're able to sign somebody like Trey Flowers or 
even I know you don't want to hear this, Joe, but if they draft somebody like Quinn and Williams at number three, I think that he could look a lot different with Greg Williams in that fourth three. But it could also be a head fake trying to get teams that might want him to give up the Amari Cooper type price. Like, oh, the Jets said they won't trade him. Well, we're going to have to really bowl them over. And the Le'Veon Bell thing is another one. The whole break the bank. Chris Nimbley and I joked about this. What does that even really mean? That could mean anything. It could just mean, oh, we're not going to give him all $100 million of our cap space. So realistically, I think that was put out there to kind of stem the tide of what happened with Kirk Cousins last year, where everybody kind of knew the Jets were going to come calling with a massive check. And so Cousins and his agents sort of used the Jets as leverage. I think they want to avoid that kind of PR mess this time. They don't want to look like the team that comes up short if Le'Veon Bell doesn't end up coming here. So I think that's what all of that is. I think the, the leaks are probably what, what's most interesting to me at this particular moment as far as this period where there's not a whole lot going on. Yeah, I mean, I agree that a lot of this stuff is, is generally done strategically, and we know it's not really hard to read the tea leaves on where the different relationships are and where the different stories are potentially you know, coming from. I think, look, at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of free agency rumors and a lot of free agency chatter. It's going to come down to whether the Jets can execute or not and how they frame how and why they didn't execute. I think... You know, if we think back to this time last year and the names that a lot of people were kicking around, um, it was an Allen Robinson, it was a Trey Burton, it was a Weston Richburg or Ryan Jensen. Uh, it was, I think, a Tremaine Johnson for a lot of people. Um, some different other running backs. Crowell wasn't a really popular name. I know Avery Williamson wasn't a popular name at this time of the year. A lot of the other corners, guys like EJ Gaines and Rashad Melvin were getting talked about. Um, and you look at kind of how it shook out. I think Tremaine Johnson was a signing that a lot of us had talked about in advance and we're pretty happy with at the time uh, based on his work with the Rams. You know, Spencer Long, I think, was basically considered the, the third option at center after they missed on Ridgeburg. Uh, they were in on Jarek McKinnon, but that didn't end up working out and then ultimately did end up working out for the 49ers anyway. We knew Cousins was going to be the main focus at quarterback uh, and he didn't even come in and ultimately visit the Jets after all that time we spent talking about him uh, last <laughs> offseason. And then with Avery Williamson, uh, I mean, I don't remember a single person mentioning Avery Williamson when we were looking at you know, what the Jets were going to do in free agency. So that's something to keep in mind. There, there are going to be some signings and moves that are not uh, consistently talked about or rumored with all these different rankings and discussion. I think the big names that you see in, is that, you know, Le'Veon Bell is at the top of that list. Then you have the people who don't want Le'Veon Bell and say spend that money on the offensive line, neglecting to realize that you can spend on both Le'Veon Bell and on the offensive line, and that the offensive line market may ultimately not be quite as robust as people expect it to be. Why, why are we convinced that the Broncos are going to let Parodies just walk out the door? Uh, why are we convinced the Chiefs are going to let Morris walk out the door? We already saw the Chiefs aren't going to let uh, G. Whiskey walk out the door. You know, Quentin Spain, Trenton Brown, some of these other guys. A few of them, of course, are going to hit the market, but there's going to be a lot of competition for them. Uh, when free agency ultimately hits. And it's the same thing with the pass rushers. Demarcus Lawrence, uh, D. Ford, Jadavion Clowney. It's unlikely these guys are going to hit the market. Frank Clark, it's unlikely the Jets are going to consider him if he even does hit the market because of his off-the-field history. So that kind of leaves you down to looking at 
a Trey Flowers or a Dante Fowler, and then a cornerback market that you're going to have to take some risks on. You know, a guy like Ronald Darby or Bryce Callahan coming off a major injury, or you go with someone who's a little less flashy, like a Bradley Roby or a Darquise uh, Denard, uh, just to improve your overall talent and depth on the outside. But free agency is the kind of thing that I think sets up to ultimately be disappointment because in everyone's mind, your team is always going to get the top five guys that you want. And then half of those guys don't hit the market. The other half of those guys get outbid for another situation. So I think for the Jets, it's going to be about can they land that one or two or three big fish at the top, a Le'Veon Bell, a starting caliber offensive lineman, and a starting player on defense. And then how do they work through that second and third tier and find quality value like they did last year with Avery Williamson, an example of a, you know, a really productive signing for them. Uh, unlike what, you know, Spencer Long, Tremaine Johnson, and I would even argue that, you know, Isaiah Crowell, you know, did not work out to the extent that they wanted. Terrell Pryor, of course, didn't. So uh, I'm interested to see how it's going to play out. I mean, if you had to guess now, who is the one player that Jet fans talk about the most who you don't think they have really any practical chance of landing? And who's a player that's not getting talked about enough that you think they may actually be in the mix to land? I'll start with Saffold. There's been a ton of talk about Roger Saffold, the guard from the Rams, and it sounds more and more like he's not going anywhere and he's going to stay with the Rams. So, that's probably the number one guy off the top of my head. There are other guys, though. I feel like Matt Paradise is probably not going to hit the market. It's possible he does, but the the problem is, Joe, as you noted, good offensive linemen are so hard to come by on the free agent market. And so when people say things like Le'Veon Bell, you can't spend on him because you got to spend on the offensive line. Look, let's just be real about this. When you're talking about who's actually going to be available, maybe Morse is available, maybe. And you could go out and sign him, but he's got major injury issues. So who knows what the deal is with that. You've got guys like Quentin Spain, who you mentioned, who's really not that good. I hate to say it. He's an okay guard at best. I don't know how much of an upgrade he would even be over what they've got as far as winters and, and such. So, you know, yeah, you could go spend big money on him, but to me, I'd rather go and, and spend big money on a difference maker like Le'Veon Bell. I think he's the guy that they're really definitely going to be in the mix for, and I think mostly because they're going to come with the most amount of money and the most amount of, hey, we need you, we desperately want you, and they're going to court him like he's a college recruit. You already see what Jamal Adams is doing. As far as guys that they might be in the mix for that some people don't expect, I think they might be in the mix for, say, Anthony Barr from the Vikings. That's an interesting situation. He looked like a year or two a lock. A year or two ago, he would have been a lock to stay in Minnesota. But they tied up a lot of their cap space now. Barr's been a little disappointing. And so I think that that's a guy that maybe that the Jets get in on and try to bring in here. I think he could be an interesting fit in Greg Williams' defense. I know his coverage wasn't as good last year as it had been. And I know that he hasn't turned into necessarily the pass rusher that people expected him to be coming out of UCLA. But let's remember something very important about Anthony Barr, which is he was a running back at UCLA until his final season there, which is when he became an outside linebacker. And when he went to the Vikings, he wasn't really deployed as a pass rusher. He was deployed more of a, as a coverage linebacker and kind of a coast-to-coast guy. So if he comes in here, maybe Greg Williams, who loves to blitz, decides, you know what, I'm going to try and remake this guy. He's got the athletic ability. He's still relatively young at 26 years old. 
and that could be a guy that, who knows, could be a breakout star. And that's really what free agency ends up being about, Joe. It's taking a shot on guys that you think might have been used incorrectly or underutilized. You know, we, we've seen it in the past. Even Avery Williamson is an example. Ironically, I think he may not fit as well in the Greg Williams defense as he did last year. But I, I think that's generally what you're trying to find is some hidden gems that you get lucky with. And, and maybe you're, you're lucky enough to get a guy who's maybe got another year or two left in the tank like the Jets got with, um, you know, when they went out and they got Damian Woody, who gave them a good year or two before injuries got the better of him and such. But you're not going to get stud offensive linemen the way that the Jets got Kevin Mawai back in 1998 or anything like that. So you got to temper your expectations as to what the Jets could really realistically do. I mean, Trey Flowers is a guy that I think maybe they'll be in on, although who knows, that might be another Dante Hightower cupcake situation, and he ends up going elsewhere or staying with the Patriots. So if I had to say the guy that I think they might be in on that people aren't necessarily talking about, it would be Barr. And I think the guy that's most likely that they're talking about that's most likely not going to be a part of the equation at all is going to be Saffold. Yeah, I think both of those names are interesting. I think Barr is absolutely someone they're going to be in the mix for and someone who makes sense with the new defense they're going to run and ironically may actually push someone like Williamson out. It's kind of interesting in that. You know, Williamson and Anderson and even Jordan Jenkins are three of the guys who are pointed to as the more positive McCagden moves. And I don't know how well any of those three guys are going to fit next year. I think there's probably ways to make it work, but uh, there very well may not be spots or as many reps for those guys. And I'm curious to see how the Jets handle it. I think with Barr, uh, I think him and a couple other inside linebackers are, are strong side linebackers, I, I should say, or weak side linebackers will get get more of an overall look in free agency, guys like Jordan Hicks as well, uh, some other people who you know trickle through and being available. I think with Saffold, I'd definitely be interested in him, and I'm not crazy about targeting older players, but I think he's good enough, and he, he could give you you know two solid years on Sam's rookie deal. It's kind of similar for what you're hoping for with Le'Veon Bell. You, know, you front-load the contract and give yourself an out after two or maybe three years, and you know, I think the Jets just need – to do what they need to do when it comes to getting stability up front. I think, you know, I tweeted this out yesterday. Their current offensive line, they don't have a starter at center. They don't have a starter at guard because Carpenter is an unrestricted free agent. Right now, your only guaranteed starters are Brandon Shell, who's coming off a major injury and might not be ready for the start of the season. Kelvin Beecham, who's fine and I think a little underrated by fans. And Brian Winters, who's very inconsistent at best and has trouble staying healthy at times. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. And teams don't let really good young offensive linemen without question marks hit free agency. I think what you see with free agency and why I'm so into Le'Veon Bell is that most of the players who hit it have some type of big question mark around them. They're either coming off a couple of down years. uh, They either don't fit their team's scheme anymore. uh, They either have injury questions or character concerns. Otherwise, their teams keep them. and They don't let them hit the open market, which is why you know setting the expectations so high for – building through free agency is usually going to lead to disappointment. And, you know, my hope is that the Jets could be very proactive in adding a premier talent in Bell and then get at least one or two guys capable of starting on that offensive line. In my mind, after that, everything else is kind of gravy. I'm not going to be unrealistic and be like, yeah, they're going to get a new starting corner, uh, two pass rushers, two starting offensive linemen, and Le'Veon Bell and a backup tight end and a new receiver. You're not going to check every single box. 
Uh, you have to find a way to mix and match between free agency, the trade market, which the Jets definitely need to get involved in, and the draft. You need to hit not just on your first pick. You need to find mid-round picks who could start and play right away. Guys like Chris Herndon, they, they've done that before. It can't happen. It happens a lot of places. It doesn't happen as frequently here, but we saw last year it can happen with Herndon. So uh, free agency is really just step one in that process. And then we get into... You know, do you trade back a third overall? How do you add more prospective assets? And, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and how the mock drafts continue to play out and who the Jets are rumored to be targeting, who wants to trade up for a quarterback. But, you know, free agency is really going to be where I think people rightly have high expectations. This is the, I believe, fourth or third time in five years the Jets are top five in the NFL in cap space. Second year in a row, they're in the top two. So, this, they did this already last year. The point is now that you fill up your roster with guys who can contribute for a couple of years, not guys you just need to cut uh, you know, immediately. Looking Before we shift to talking about the Super Bowl, looking at the Jets' internal free agents, is there anyone that you think they're going to move quickly to bring back or anyone you think is going to be a surprise that they let Walker cut ties with? Uh, I don't think that there's anybody that they're going to move super fast on. I think Anunwo would have been that guy potentially, but they already locked him up. Robbie Anderson, I think they're just going to tag him and then let the market set itself and probably bring him back on that deal, and then obviously they can figure that out at a later time. Henry Anderson, I honestly I wouldn't be surprised if he goes for the reason that you said. I just don't think he's a scheme fit here. A big part of the reason that the Colts traded him is because they were switching schemes, and so I think that He's a guy that's kind of an odd man out. I don't really see anybody that they're going to move quickly on. Playborn, maybe they try to bring him back on another one-year deal, but no one stands out to me there. I think that the as far as surprise cuts, man, I, I would have said possibly that it could have been Winters if they had any alternatives, but... You just hit on it. The offensive line is an absolute mess. The only guy that they have right now who is a starter at tackle who, you know, isn't coming off a major injury because we don't know for sure right now that, uh, you know, like you said, that Shell will be ready for the season is Beecham, and he's not really that great. We don't know what's going on with Winters. Obviously, Carpenter's gone. Spencer Long is gone now. So there's too many question marks, I think, for them to let go of Winters at this point. I don't see anybody as, any, as a surprise cut because, quite frankly, there's no one here that I think could potentially be cut that would be of any surprise to anyone at this point. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Every option's on the table. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Right, you have a new coaching staff. You've been bad for a while. I think that I'm glad to see, you know, with something like Long, you're not compounding your mistake. Obviously, it's bad that you have to move on from him so quickly. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was one or two more surprising moves that happened. Um, you know, with I don't think we're going to be shocked by a guy like Robbie Anderson. I think he'll get the tender and be back. They already took care of Anua, but they do have to. Uh, 
get enough players on this roster. So I do think a decent amount of the people that are free agents, even if it's for depth and backup roles, uh, will find a way to get brought back ultimately. But it will be interesting to see uh, how that ultimately plays out. Um, all right. Any other final thoughts on the Jets? And then you could grill me all about Atlanta. Sounds good. I've been wanting to ask you about Atlanta, actually. The uh, Yeah, the only thing that I would say, Le'Veon Bell, again, and I'm sure we'll talk plenty about this over the next couple of weeks, and I'm actually going to do an entire week of Le'Veon Bell shows, looking at him from every aspect here, from the film with Joe Blewett, the stats with Michael Mania. I've got beat writers from Pittsburgh coming on. We're going to go through the salary cap stuff. So everything you want to know, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. But I will say this. For as much as I agree with you about bringing in a guy like Le'Veon Bell, who I think is an, you know, an impactful player, uh, he, he, people don't realize that he's actually half receiver, half running back in a lot of ways. He's a tremendous receiver and a great weapon out of the backfield. But I will say there are downsides to the fact that his teammates seem to turn on him, including his union rep. You had those guys that were even taking stuff out of his locker. That's not normal, even for a guy who holds out. It's a little weird. You got the fact that he's had plenty of injuries. In fact, if you recall, the first three years of his career, he didn't finish the season because an injury would pop up. You have a couple of suspensions there as well. So there are definite red flags and some things to be worried about. It's not as big of a slam dunk as some people are making it out to be. I think it's weird because there have been anomalies in free agency the last two years. Last year, the questions with Cousins had nothing to do with what I just said about Bell. It was, okay, how good is this guy, and is he worth paying $30 million? With Bell, there's zero question about the talent. The question is the other stuff, the injuries, the off the field. So that's something to consider. And at the, When it comes down to you'll have to decide for yourself whether or not you think it's worth paying Le'Veon Bell a Todd Gurley deal, which is probably around what it's going to take to get him here. I tend to lean on the side with you and say that, look, they desperately need playmakers. They really need somebody with his ability, and they have all this money to spend, so I'd rather take a chance that Le'Veon Bell can stay healthy for two to three years and that he can avoid getting suspensions for two to three years than go and spend all that money on mediocre players like Donovan Smith or something in the offensive line. So that's my final thought on that whole Le'Veon Bell thing, and I'll have plenty more to say. I'm sure you will too, Joe, over the next couple of weeks. But now i got to ask you about Atlanta. First question, I know you said that you met Sam Darnold and you met Jamal Adams, and I want to get back to that, but did you get to meet Big Boy? <laughs> I did not get to meet Big Boy. I was, I was very close, and I got to see him come strutting out in the, uh, in the fur coat, and I can tell you that was – Far and away, uh, the part of the halftime show that everybody in the building, and it seemed like everyone online and at home was most excited about. Uh, unfortunately, I did not get to meet him. I did have Jamie Foxx walk by me, hit me by accident, had me spill my drink. And when I turned around to say something, he was already gone with his entourage. And still interesting to get hit in the shoulder by him, though, at the uh, Travis Scott concert a couple nights before. Willie Beeman tapping you on the shoulder like that. You're going to have to take some of his guaranteed money that he got in any given Sunday, Joe. And there but he, I there are actually you, like four Super people who what? wore a Willie Beeman jersey to the Super Bowl, which is just um, unbelievable. <laughs> that is incredible. I didn't know that they even made those. But since we're on the subject of quarterbacks, Joe, i got to ask you, let's contrast Willie Beeman with Sam Darnold because obviously Willie Beeman is somebody, uh, obviously a fictional character, but the character was a very flamboyant, talkative guy. 
Sam Darnold, not quite so much. He's got this reputation as being kind of a quiet, shy guy. Is that what you found when you met him in person at the Super Bowl? I very briefly got to speak with him and of my favorite quarterback of all, Mr. Josh Allen. Uh, the two of them were pretty much attached at the hip throughout most of the weekend with a small with a small group of people and uh, were obviously drawing attention wherever they went. They're both ridiculously tall in person. I knew Allen would be. I did not expect Darnold to be that tall. Um, and it feels, I mean, again, he's 21. I guess he could still be growing, but he is uh, – much bigger in person than I thought he would be, uh, but really nice. You know, was dealing with a ton of people trying to you know chase after him, uh, sign things, take pictures, but was really nice and accommodating for a brief conversation, not just with myself but with a lot of other people uh, at the NFL house and some of the other events that were going on down there. And the same and the same for Josh Allen. I mean, again, not the biggest fan of him on the field, but was a really nice guy. Uh, in person, again, not just to myself, but to a lot of different people who were throwing themselves at them. Um, you know, with uh, with Adams, Adams was just – I was got early to the Pepsi concert on Friday, which was this Travis Scott show, and he basically came in with a few people uh, through the side. And I, I'd seen from Instagram he was wearing this orange sweatshirt. And it was a, you know, it was a dark concert. Um, it, was, it was like the lights were off in there, so it was hard to see. Uh, everything and what was going on, but I did catch him coming in through the side, and not a lot of people like recognized him because it was really crowded. But I was able to quickly run over, you know, just say hi, get a quick picture, and let him carry on with his night. Did get to see him and Aaron Judge carry out a prolonged conversation about five feet from me, which was very cool to watch. And Aaron Judge is also completely enormous, uh, even bigger than Darnold and Josh Allen, it seemed in person. Uh, but but fun, quick moments, very brief conversations, and wishing them good luck for the upcoming season and praying for. Uh, their ongoing help in free agency was the one thing I specifically asked for uh, for both of them. Uh, of course, Adams is doing this regardless, as we're as we're seeing constantly. But they they were definitely the two uh, jet highlights of the weekend. I, I did see Marcus May and Leonard Williams and a few other people were down there, but the only two I had a chance to run into on the Jets were uh, Darnold and Adams. Any other interesting celebrity encounters while you were down there in Atlanta? Uh, in the we got to go to the NFL Honors on Saturday for the taping of it and a pre uh, cocktail party. So got to very quickly meet Kirk Cousins, Andrew Luck, Chris Carter. Uh, these are like just like you know these this event was like insane, but just you know quick quick sort of handshakes. It appears that uh, Gil Brandt sat directly in front of me at the Super Bowl, which I didn't even really realize at the time until I think I spilled a Bud Light on him after Tom Brady's oh. first interception. Um, but uh, also, Will I Am was sitting uh, about two seats over from us, uh, or like the the row over from us, which was interesting uh, to see as well. And then of course just gobs of Patriot fans everywhere. It was a Patriots home game, a Patriots hometown. There was no Rams fans in Atlanta, no Rams fans in the building. There were more Eagles, Giants, every other team fan, and there were Rams fans there. What was the chatter like? Were people talking a lot about how boring the game was live, or was there a different perception in the stadium? Because obviously, as you know, everybody that was watching at home, or I shouldn't say everybody, but most people watching at home were complaining about how boring the game was. Yeah, look, it, it was a boring game. I'm not someone who's subscribing to, you know, this was just a really well-played defensive game. In the building, it was, again, it was a lot of Patriot fans, so a lot of Patriot fans who were... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pretty happy for most of the game and a little anxious because it felt like they were dominating the game, but it was, you know, it was a one possession game until late into the fourth quarter. It just, it was one of those games that felt like it never really got started. There was never anything that happened up until that touchdown drive where Gronk had the two catches that really got the game going and got everyone in rhythm. There was a couple opportunities and the Rams just couldn't make plays in it. It was felt like a very, you know, choppy and stagnant game. And it's just, you know, someone who's sat through a ton of bad Jets games with no points. It figures that the one Super Bowl I go to is 3 nothing at halftime. It doesn't have a touchdown uh, until the fourth quarter. Now, the fourth quarter was still very exciting. And the environment in that building is still electric and uh, was something I'll never forget. But I, I can't act like this was some, you know, brilliant back and forth football game. It was a lot of missed passes, drop passes, pressures from the defense, questionable penalties, and a lot of punts. A lot, a lot of punts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. What was the experience like overall? Because obviously this will change if the Jets get in, but a lot of people that I know that have gone to Super Bowls will say stuff like, I'm glad I did it. It was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but it was so much of a hassle and all that, that I would never really want to do it again unless my team got in. Is that how you feel, or would you be thrilled to go to more Super Bowls, regardless of whether or not the Jets are in? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would be going back if the Jets were in. I, I would definitely be able, you know, pending the city, and Atlanta was great, you know, interested in going back. I was lucky enough that, you know, through a couple of relationships I have at the NFL, was able to get a pretty unique experience and go to a lot of the wraparound events, so it wasn't just the game experience for me, it was really the whole weekend. It was getting to go to the Travis Scott thing Friday, getting to go to the NFL house, getting to go to NFL honors, getting to go to the, the Foo Fighters direct TV concert Saturday and getting to go to the tailgate before. And all those different events were really unique and had different collections of people around them and a lot of interesting, you know, different chatter around different things going on around the league. So that type of experience I could definitely do again. Uh, and even, you know, a more traditional experience, I, you know, I think I'd be happy to do because, again, the, the experience in the building is really uh, unique and, you know, it was a very lucky situation, but I'm happy I was able to enjoy it. Put despite the Patriots winning and they were going to win whether I was there or wasn't, it was, a you know, an interesting and fun way to wrap the season. You know, at this point, I'm generally just numb to the Patriots winning Super Bowls. I Nothing makes me roll my eyes more at this point than premature articles decrying the end of the Patriots dynasty or stuff, you know, talking about anyone ending the Patriots dynasty because we've just seen this movie for two decades. And about seven or eight years ago, as someone who writes about this team, I was like, I am not jumping on this bandwagon of being someone who says the Patriots are dead every single year. I'm preparing myself in their head, my head for them to win the division every year and be in the AFC Championship game every year and hopefully that they lose that game or lose the Super Bowl. But it would not surprise me if they were back in the Super Bowl again next year. This was a team that, you know, in terms of a pure talent standpoint, they, not one of their most talented Super Bowl teams. You know, they get another draft into their belt. They get another free agency, a couple more trades. They get Josh Gordon back. I, I don't see any reason why people will pick them, not pick them to go 11 and 5, 12 and 4, 13 and 3. And I think that the retirement talk is, I think people in sports media, 
and other fans want these guys to retire, understandably so. Everyone wants a new story, and everyone is sick of New England. But what if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick just really like what they're doing and still know that they're the best at doing it? And if you look at the, what they accomplished this year, I don't know why the expectation is that last next year is their last year. You know, Maybe the year after, Brady has said he's going to play until 45. But in my head, I, I don't see why I shouldn't expect them to be, each be around for at least two more years. Is that crazy? I think he's going to play till 45. I, I think Brady's the type of guy that's going to keep playing until either his body gives out or like Peyton Manning, he realizes he just can't do it at a high level like that anymore. I always say, Brian Bassett and I once joked that it's almost like it's the rumble in the jungle in Zaire and Jets fans have been Muhammad Ali laying up against the ropes, getting pounded by George Foreman. The problem is it's been going on for two decades and all the punches keep landing. So <laughs> I think that that's basically where we're at at this point. I'm like you, Joe. I'm not emotionally invested in it at all. Don't get me wrong. Not rooting for the Patriots. I'm certainly not hope. I'm certainly hoping that they don't do well. I would prefer if they don't win. But if they if they do win, it doesn't really bother me anymore. That shift sailed a couple of years ago. Like you said, I'm mentally prepared for them to win the division and the Super Bowl every year because that seems to be the path that they go down all the time. I mean, 10 straight years with a first-round bye. So I'm at the point now where, like you, it's just whatever. If they win, they win. I don't love it, but it doesn't affect me anymore. I'm, I'm kind of just letting it roll off my shoulders. But, Joe, I have one last question for you. And I'm really amazed that nobody has asked you this yet, so I'm going to be the first one to ask. Considering the level of disrespect that you've shown Chick-fil-A over the years, how did you make it out of Atlanta alive? Listen, my stance on Chick-fil-A is that it is good. It is just not quite as good as everybody <laughs> makes it out to be. I Chick-fil-A was closed in the building. It was a Sunday, so I, I did not dabble in it. I did not get any when I was in Atlanta. There's Chick-fil-A's here in New York. I could get it from time to time when I want it. Uh, I was more interested in uh, you know hitting the Waffle House fall down there and then also sampling all the free food that I was able to get my hands on. So it was a very unhealthy weekend. You could tell, like, I posted my picture on Friday with Darnold, and I posted a picture Sunday at the Super Bowl, and I very clearly put on eight pounds in about two days, which is a problem <laughs> of being 31 and trying to drink and eat like you're 23. But, you know, sometimes you just got to gotta sprint through it. And um, it was uh, it was very interesting overall. Atlanta was a very hospitable city. Everyone was very nice and very helpful. And, uh, all the NFL people and people from the different teams I got to interact with, down to the players, were, were great. And that's always, you know, an encouraging thing to see that uh, these people are nice and people aren't assholes when you actually uh, meet them in person. So, look, I'm excited to to dive into this off season. You know, for better or worse, the off season is the busiest time for us, both you know, in terms of articles, in terms of Twitter, in terms of podcasts. This is when most of the news happens and I hope that changes because I am very exhausted of jet seasons being over by Thanksgiving or even before Thanksgiving and having to root for the team to lose. It's an exhausting and frustrating thing to have to do after eight years. And, uh, I, I do genuinely hope that changes. I cannot emphasize that enough. I am very clearly and obviously not a huge fan of the general manager. I was not a huge fan of the head coach hire. Uh, I'm not going to change my mind on them because that's the decisions the team made, but as a fan, I will be rooting for them to succeed. I, I could not help more that the Jets go 14-2 and two next year and all of my old tweets about McCagden and Gase get retweeted. I don't care. I'd much rather watch a good team and cover a good team. 
Um, and let's hope we'll get a good indication, I think, in March about what kind of team this is going to be with how they could handle free agency. If they can make, maximize the use of this $100 million, like I wrote in an article I published today, there is a lot of recent history of teams in a very similar situation to the Jets turning things around really quickly. The Bears, the Rams, the Eagles, uh, even things like you look, look back with the Colts did with Andrew Luck in his first couple of years, what the Cowboys did in Dak's first year, um, you know, the Chargers, how much they've won in Anthony Lynn's second year. Uh, there's a lot of different examples uh, with first and second year quarterbacks in the playoffs, first and second year head coaches in the playoffs, and there's no reason the Jets shouldn't be able to add an infusion of talent. I feel like they can't. It's mathematically impossible for them to be worse than they were last year. I just hope that margin of improvement uh, is substantial. I'm not excited about going seven and nine next year. I just I can't. I don't care. It's been ten years. I, I want to see this team go ten and six, eleven and five, play meaningful football into late December, and be a playoff team like every other team in the NFL has been, except for the Browns and Bucks in the, the past ten years. And I think the Browns are probably making the playoffs this year. I think the Bucks got a decent shot too with Bruce Arians uh, and the staff that they're building there, including our old friend Todd Bowles, a defensive coordinator. Uh, and I don't see a reason that fans and ownership should not be demanding that out of the Jets. But we'll see. Final words, Scott, on your thoughts uh, on what you're expecting and hoping for next year. Yeah, I, mean, I think you summed it up well. Uh, unlike you, and I know this isn't a popular view, and Chris Nimbley might be the only person on earth that shares it with me. I'm not into the whole playoff mandate only because I think what that ends up doing is forcing the general manager into making panic win-now moves at the expense of the long term, especially with McCagnan. I mean, we've seen it before. So I just want to see a team that's good, that looks like they are ready to really break out, and that, look, hopefully makes the playoffs, but at the very least is right there in playoff contention to the very end. Because it's been a while. The last time that the Jets had a team like that was 2015. So let's hope that that's what happens. And I think that there are ways to make it happen. You get a couple of decent pieces in free agency. You have a really good draft. I mean, look, it might be unrealistic to expect the Jets to have the kind of draft the Colts had last year. But if you could have a draft like that, like let's say you land a really great player at number three and then you have the two third-round picks and you hit on offensive linemen there or you trade out of that pick and you pick up some extra second, thirds, whatever, and you hit on a bunch of those, you could really, like you said, Joe, you could turn things around real quick. I'm not confident that that's going to happen based on the fact that, like you said, I'm not also the biggest fan of Gase or McCagnin, but and, and like you said, too, I'm not going to change my mind on that until I see results on the field. If they prove me wrong, then I'll change my mind. That's basically how it's going to be. Until then, you know, I have my thoughts on the two of them, and they're going to have to work to prove me wrong, not that they care what I think, obviously. Um, and last thing, Joe, if I could, since you mentioned you have something like over 300 ratings on iTunes, let's see if we can get Play Like a Jet to 100. I think we're at about 80 right now. And if you're unfamiliar with the Play Like a Jet podcast, I like to say that we're kind of like a spinoff. So if Joe is all in the family, I would be the Jeffersons. For anybody that remembers that far back with television, I think I guess we could say Friends and Joey, but I hope that I'm more successful than Joey was as a spinoff of Friends. But either way, <laughs> uh, we have new Jets podcasts every day. 
So there's one new one, and it's usually about 20 minutes to a half hour. And we have Chris Nimbley is usually on once a week from Jets Insider. Daryl Slater from NJ.com is usually on once a week. Michael Manny is on once a week to break down the nerdy numbers like he always does. We've got special shows as well as uh, free agency roundtables right now. We had some really cool guests. I've got some great ones coming up, including our old friend Connor Rogers. He's going to join me sometime in the next couple of days for another free agency roundtable. Got special shows coming up, like I said, on Le'Veon Bell. Got a series going on right now, going through the life and career of Wesley Walker, one of the greatest players to ever wear a Jets uniform. And it's going to be explosive, Joe, because Wesley doesn't care. Like, he'll talk about anything. So there's some stuff that he's going to reveal from his playing days that is going to blow some people's minds. So even if you weren't around when Wesley was playing, if you're a Jets fan, it's something you want to listen to. So really, like I said, if you could go to iTunes and give Play Like a Jet some positive ratings, that would be cool. If you're not subscribed already, awesome. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, that would be cool too, at Play Like a Jet 1. So we've got some great content all the way around the TOJ, the TOJ podcast. We've got all the Play Like a Jet feed podcasts. We've got so much great written content coming. And like you said, Joe, it's only going to get busier and only going to get better as free agency and the draft approach. Well said, Scott. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll be back next Thursday with a new episode.